Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. Hi, I'm Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy, and I am your host. <clears throat> and uh, and I have a, another bee in my bonnet. Today on the podcast, uh, it's sort of a rant. Um, we all have things which trigger us, and for me, it's politicians and supposedly non-political policymakers who do stupid and destructive things and don't get called out on it. So buckle up. I'm going to do some calling out. Uh, but first, a word from our sponsors. This episode of Sense and Sensibility is sponsored by Simplify ETFs. Simplify is a manager of alternative ETFs solving today's most pressing portfolio challenges, including income solutions like SVOL, yield curve plays like TUA, and 6040 diversifiers such as CTA. If you're an individual investor, if you're an RIA, you'll probably find that something they've done addresses a problem you have that you didn't know was solvable. Check out their website website at simplify.us, that's simplify.us, and you can find their entire lineup of ETFs at simplify.us slash ETFs. And thank you, as always, to Simplify for sponsoring this podcast. You know, it's funny because last week I talked about Fed Governor Waller and his reiteration of the Phillips curve myth, you know, the idea that the Phillips curve is broken when what is really broken is that the people who don't really know how to read or are too lazy to read the paper to learn what the Phillips curve actually is. Because Phillips wrote a paper, and that's where the Phillips curve comes from, and it bears no resemblance to the way it's referred to today. Now, I'm a lazy guy, so I get it. You know, don't want to go back and read. But if you're going to talk about how something is broken— it strikes me that first you should, uh, well, the initials are RTFM. We say this in, in computers, right? So if you, uh, or, or if you're putting together, you don't understand how your, uh, your VCR works, you should read the flipping manual, RTFM. So in economics, RTFM means that you should look at the person who originally formulated the theory that you're saying is broken. If you don't do that, it's kind of like saying, my car won't run. The person who invented the internal combustion engine is an idiot. You know, he's probably not an idiot, but you probably should go and learn about, if you're going to call him an idiot, you probably should learn a lot about how an industrial combustion engine works and, and how it was designed, and why, and and by the way, probably some things have happened to the internal combustion engine between then and now. And so, blaming that person for something that's wrong now with your car is probably not really fair. And so, you should probably go and 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 study the original thing that you're blaming. Um, but anyway, I'm not here to regurgitate and relitigate last week's podcast. <clears throat> Uh, today, because I got a new one. <laughs> I got something new to litigate. This time, we turn to the chief economist of the Bank of England. Actually, you know, um, notice that I'm not picking on some poor junior professor or or an undergraduate, you know, tourist in economics. Uh, last week it was the Fed governor. This week it's the so-called chief economist of the Bank of England, and these are people who really should know better. 
Uh, the chief economist of the BOE is a gentleman by the name of uh, Hugh Pill. That's H-U-W. And I assume it's pronounced Hugh. Uh, actually, he's the chief economist and executive director for monetary analysis and research for the Bank of England. So not an economic tourist, right? So he's he's front and center and he does a lot of a lot of stuff there. And and to be fair to Mr. Pill, uh, he is sort of echoing similar comments made by the Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey last year. And the basic idea put out by Mr. Bailey and, and more recently by Mr. Pill is that whatever caused the initial increase in inflation, the fact is uh, that it is still high is your fault because you're trying to get a raise or to raise the prices of goods that you sell to try to stay ahead of inflation rather than just taking it on the chin for the team and holding your prices even though your costs have gone up and not arguing for a higher wage because and just just accepting the fact that your life is just not going to be as good now. So I'll, I'll play a soundbite in, in, in a little bit so you can see I'm not not being un, unfair to Mr. Pill at all. Uh, he kind of goes through, you can listen to the, the, the whole podcast, um, which was the Beyond Unprecedented podcast of Columbia Law School. Um, and you can get it on Apple, Apple Podcasts. Um, and and he, he kind of, <laughs> in talking about inflation, he sort of first blamed the supply shock, the supply shocks that we had. And he talks about, <clears throat> you know, the backup at the ports and all the, the things associated with the pandemic. And then he blamed the invasion of, of Ukraine. And then he mentions the avian flu and some other things. I'm not, I'm not making this up. He has like three or four different things. And he was like, you know, this is really unlucky. Each of these things was transitory, but they're just timed in a way so that inflation stayed higher. Pretty standard finger pointing, but honestly, you know, fairly creative fairy tale telling. I mean, you, you gotta, you gotta, you have to believe in some, some very complex and really, really unlucky things that it just sort of worked out this way with all these things. Uh, you know, none of which, you know, the, when we've experienced them in the past, caused anything like eight or nine or ten percent inflation like they have in the UK, um, but. But somehow the sequence of them caused it inflation to go up and to stay up, which is just, it's just absurd. He did not mention, among the things he did not mention, was the 15.5% growth in UK M2 money supply, uh, which is what it reached at its peak. You know, we, we got well over 20% and closer to, 20, uh, closer to 30%. But, you know, 15.5% UK money uh, supply growth year on year um, – you know, that was, that's, that's still, that would have been higher than anything that we had experienced um, in, in the United States in the 1970s. I don't, don't have the UK series, but that's, that's a large increase in the money supply. But it's not our fault. It's transitory. Just a whole lot of transitory, really unlucky, but it had nothing to do with the fact that we were just spraying money all over the economy. But obviously you can't sell crazy forever. I mean, you you can keep telling this story, and eventually even chief economists realize that transitory is just a dodge. <laughs> it's just, just, something, just something to say to convince people that you're not behind it. And normal people realize this years ago. Chief economists are just now figuring it out. 
Um, so then he turns to a really ugly and sort of dangerous idea. And again, he's not the first person to float this idea, but it's, it's, it's a really ugly idea. And it, the idea is that it's your fault. So here's what he said to the Beyond Unprecedented podcast of Columbia Law School. And this is, this is an actual soundbite from that podcast. You don't need to be much of an economist to realize if what you're buying has gone up a lot relative to what you're selling, you're going to be worse off. So somehow in the UK, someone needs to accept that they're worse off and stop trying to maintain their real spending power by bidding up prices, whether higher wages or passing the energy costs through onto customers, etc. And what we're facing now is that that reluctance to accept that, yes, we're all worse off and we all have to take our share to try and pass that cost onto one of our compatriots and saying we'll be all right, but they will have to take our share too. That pass the parcel game that's going on here, that game is one that is just generating inflation. Okay, and this is outrageous. I mean, this is not just stupid. And it's not just elitist. The silly proles keep asking for raises. Why can't they be happy living on their estates? Uh, but it's but it's also it's also socialist. You know, um, the idea that everyone somehow has to pay the, pay the fair share. Why do I have to pay my fair share of a problem that you created? I didn't have anything to do with the inflation. Okay, but now you're saying I do because I want to raise because all you know my cost of living went up ten percent. And I want to raise. And so now suddenly it's my fault? I mean, come on. Yeah, there were some one-off events. There were the equivalent of an economic asteroid hitting the planet. But the biggest asteroid was an asteroid of our own making. And I guess maybe the imagery here is, is okay, but the, uh, the analogy breaks down. But it's an asteroid that we had... We have total control over, and that's the gusher of money that we squirted around the world. The Fed, the Bank of England, uh, the ECB, the Bank of Japan, and so on and so forth. It's also the only asteroid, to continue the dumb analogy, that will not naturally return to normal. Like all of the transfer, you know, the, the, the ports, um, you know, the Long Beach port, and all the ports in, uh, on the western coast of the United States, they're all returning to normal. Uh, have returned to normal for the most part. And most of the other transitory things have long since kind of faded away, and yet we still have this high inflation. Um, those things will naturally return to normal. The, the, the price system works. The, the, you know, the, the capitalist system works to get everything in the right place at the right price and, and the right amount if you just give it time. Okay? But the money supply will not naturally decline on its own. Um, now, in the United States, the money supply is very slowly decreasing because the Fed is, is decreasing very, very slightly its balance sheet. Um, so the sign is at least correct. I mean, they've drained something like 4% of the money supply when they'd increased it 40. So it's, you know, but at least the sign's correct. So you got to give them a little bit of credit. But, but um, you know, and, and oh, by the way, yes. If you do confront and accept the idea that the inflation problem was largely, not entirely, but largely caused by the gusher of money, okay, the dramatic change in the price level, which continues today, was caused by the gusher of money, unwinding the gusher of money 
is going to be devastating to asset markets in the same way that, you know, unleashing the gusher of money turned asset markets higher. And that will hurt guys like the chief economist who owns so many assets. That's one of the reasons they don't want to do it. Unless, of course, they actively work to defend their money, which they should. There are things you can do. You don't have to, like, sit there and just, just take it when the asset markets all turn south because they're pulling all the liquidity back. But, but if, if they do pull back on the gusher of money and asset markets are devastated, it'll still be better for the proles out there who have to buy meat and bread with wages that now will be worth more if prices go down. Now, I'm saying this because there's no chance in heck that that's actually going to happen. There's no, ch- no chance we're going to pull back 40% of the money supply. Um, but, uh, you know, those proles aren't, they're not carrying their fair share. And, uh, uh, you know, so, you know, it's on them. Now, look, I think that people have the right to say anything they want. Okay, we have plenty of outlets now. If you say something stupid, plenty of ways that people can tell you that you're stupid. So there's no danger of you getting out there and saying something dumb. Go ahead, say all the dumb things you want. I can't imagine many things more destructive to our society than stopping people from saying anything they want, especially things which clash with the official narrative. You know, I mean, obviously, right? Because that's kind of what this podcast does have at the time is talk about things which clash with the official narrative, you know, but if you want to get out there and you want to say some dumb thing, of course, what he's saying is the official narrative, both because he's an official, but because it's what every, you know, all the senior people around the world and central banks around the world are saying is that, you know, that the, the persistence of the wage price feedback loop at some level could be broken if the people who wanted to get higher wages just refused to take higher wages. <clears throat> whatever. You, you have the right to say whatever you want. But this is scary because it makes you wonder a little bit if he said the quiet part out loud by accident. I mean, if, you know, if people insist on asking for wage increases, and if you really think that's the problem, and as I've said, it's an important it's an important part of the persistence of inflation now that there's a feedback loop from wages to prices that happened partly because prices, you know, inflation stayed up for as long as it did, kind of kicking off that feedback loop. But if you really think that it's wage increases by themselves that are the problem, uh, if you really think that that's the problem and not the gusher of money that triggered it, then the natural conclusion is that you should implement wage and price controls, right? If people won't voluntarily not ask for wages, we will simply outlaw them. And by the way, I think, I don't know if, remember if I mentioned this recently, you know, I, um, but Japan recently started an initiative, <laughs> um, the Ministry of uh, uh, Trade and Finance, um, uh, Trade and Industry, started a campaign to to essentially do the same sort of thing and persuade in, you know companies that they shouldn't increase prices because you know because of national pride or something and that you know that that's so that's how they're going to restrain price inflation side note not working in Japan they have the highest core inflation that they've had in about 40 or 50 years right now um, but 
this idea is not uh, specific to the Bank of England. It's been around around the world. Last year, there were rumblings here in the United States um, with a few trial balloons circulating various news outlets talking about how effective wage and price controls have historically been, although they haven't, okay? And uh, episode 37 of this podcast, episode 37, um, I think I, I call it the bad idea of the year, wage and price controls. Um, anyway, episode 37, I talked about wage and price controls. Check it out. Um, wage and price controls would obviously be a colossally bad idea, and no real economist should entertain the notion. Um, but if you're willing to entertain the notion that your money gusher was at best only a minor issue in the inflation, if you're willing to entertain the notion that the main thing keeping inflation up is that the little people want to argue for higher wages rather than paying their fair share, if you're willing to entertain the notion that there isn't a positive economic concept of fair share, and if you're the kind of person who becomes chief economist of the Bank of England, then why wouldn't you entertain the notion that a mere tweak to the price system, which being an official, being someone in, in a, near a seat of power is something that you can influence, why wouldn't you entertain the notion that a mere tweak to the price system could solve the inflation problem when everything you've tried so far hasn't. And it wouldn't even hurt you, the chief economist of the Bank of England. Now, I, maybe I'm not being fair. No, I'm I'm not being fair. It it's possible that Pill is is not really a closet price controller. Yes, what he said in that clip that I played certainly seems to suggest that, you know, people have a responsibility and and sort of the natural next step is if you people if you think people have a responsibility to do something, they're not doing it. You know, you think people have should stop it at the corner, but they're not doing it. So you you make a law, you put up a stop sign, right? So if you believe that people are not naturally doing something that they should do and that is important for them to do, then you take away their civil liberties in some way. Putting up a stop sign is taking away their civil liberties, but in a way that's pretty minor. Saying that Wages and prices can't change is also taking away civil liberties, but in a more serious way. It's, but it's, it's a matter of degree, right? Uh, but I'm not, I don't know that that's what Pill's perspective is. Um, so maybe I'm not being fair on that part. But on the rest of what I've said, the fact that he comes out with sort of the idea that, that, and again, without ever mentioning that it's the amount of money that they flushed in the system that's really causing the whole problem, I, I don't think I'm being unfair. I have a real trouble <laughs> taking seriously, I guess, anyone who doesn't put the 100-year flood of money and doesn't, who doesn't put that front and center in causing the inflation problem. I just have, have trouble uh, with folks like that. But anyway, rant off. That's all for today's podcast. Uh, please uh, like, subscribe, refer others. Uh, you can contact me if you've got a comment about this or any other episode at inflationguy at enduringinvestments.com. Subscribe to the blog at inflationguy.blog. You can follow me on Twitter at inflation underscore guy. Visit Enduring Investments if you have an inflation challenge. We are asset managers, we're wealth managers, we're consultants. Most importantly, defend your money. And if inflation is coming for you, remember, 
you know a guy 